for, and that's His grace. Amen? His grace and mercy. Now listen, folks, we would, uh, we would have nothing if it wasn't for that. So thankful for that. Take your Bibles this morning. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is where we're going to begin at this morning. And of course, this is Friends and Family Sunday. And uh, I uh, try to, uh, the four special Sundays, if the Lord allows me to, uh, kind of preach along the idea of what the day is going to be about. And uh, so um, uh, we're going to do that as, as well today. And so if you find your place, stand with me, if you will, for the reverence of the reading of the Word of God. John chapter 13, I'll begin reading in verse 1, read down through verse 5. The Bible says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. God, as we read in our text, Lord, you sure do love us. And Lord, we're thankful for that, God. And I pray that after this morning's message that our hearts would be drawn closer to you. Lord, I pray that maybe if we came in here this morning and our love wasn't what it ought to have been for you, God, that after today it would be. I pray that you work on our hearts this morning, God. I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that they would accept you, Lord, before it's eternally too late. Those of us who are saved, I pray that you'd help us to allow the Word of God to change us and help us and make us better for you. We love you, and we thank you. We give you the praise, glory, and honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I got looking back through my uh, archives of sermons, and uh, last year uh, I preached a message about being part of God's amazing family. Uh, the year before that, I preached about Jesus being the greatest friend of all time. And I got to thinking about those two things and what it was that the Lord wanted me to preach this morning. And I got to thinking about that verse there in John chapter 13 and verse 1, where it says that, that uh, having loved his own which were in the world, and he loved them unto the end. Now, folks, I don't know how much motivation you need uh, to uh, want to, uh, you know, uh, be uh, become a Christian if you're not, but those verses right there, my goodness, the fact that Jesus Christ uh, loved us unto the end and will love us unto the end, amen? And I got to thinking about how much that God loves us. And, you know, uh, uh, that that's such a vast subject, by the way, amen? The fact that, that God loves us. But I don't want to necessarily preach this morning on this idea of God loving us, although He certainly does. But I want to kind of turn the, uh, the message back in, in our responsibilities and the fact that do we love Him? Amen? We know He loves us, but do we love Him? Of course, Jesus Christ, yes, He is the greatest friend there ever could be. Yes, it's a wonderful thing to be part of His family, but do we love Him the way we should? In fact, the Bible tells for us that we are to love Him. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, it says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. 
And so folks, when we, when we preach this this morning, it's not a matter of can we, it's a matter of do we. Amen? Because God gave us the command to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Amen? And listen, if God commands you to do something, you can do it. It's not a matter of can we, it's a matter of do we. And I want to preach on this subject this morning, seven areas of misplaced love. Seven areas of misplaced love. Because here's the thing, folks, all right? If we don't love God as Christians, and I'm pre- pre- primarily uh, preaching to us Christians this morning. Hey, if we don't love God as Christians, it's not because we can't. It's because, truth be told, we're loving something else instead. Seven areas of misplaced love. And I got to thinking about that and begin to chase that through the Scripture. And there's seven things that the Bible warns us about loving instead of God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's get, let's get started here. First and foremost, and, and I think this by, by all means certainly ought to be at the top of the list, but how about this? The misplaced love of self. The misplaced love of self. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now we've been talking a lot about that verse lately, and I'll tell you why. Because let me tell you folks, we are living not just in the last days, we're living in the last of the last days. Amen? I believe the last days began when Jesus Christ ascended and went back to heaven, and He commissioned His church begin to go out and preach the gospel. I believe that's when the last days began. And let me tell you something folks, we're living in the last of those last days. I believe that. Amen? Not only that, we've been talking about the the fact that the Bible says perilous times shall come. That word perilous means dangerous. And let me tell you, we're living in perilous times. And then the Bible begins to describe the generation of people that's going to be alive in the last of the last days. And look what is first on that last list in verse 2. Notice what it says, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. The, the, the top sin listed in the last of the last days is the fact that men would be lovers of their own selves. Let me tell you something, folks. We're living in a day, in fact, they use this term, the term self-love. It's used in our culture today. By the way, you know what self-love has turned into? Self-worship. Self-worship. You see, folks, this reprobate society in which we find ourselves is, is the exact society that Romans chapter 1 said it would be. When it described it as this, worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. And let me tell you something, folks, the fastest growing religion today is the religion of self. The religion of self. I may have given you this illustration before, but I think this, this kind of sums up exactly where we're at. Some of you, most of you probably uh, know this name, Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston was the multi-platinum American singer that notched a mega hit when she sang the song called this, The Greatest Love of All. Now, when you hear the title of that song, and you understand uh, her background and the fact that she grew up singing in a church choir... By the way, a lot of these uh, 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 these stars, uh, so-called stars of the world, have their roots in uh, singing in a church. Amen. And you know what? Truth be told, probably a lot of them probably were actually born again. 
But instead of taking their talents, like I taught your young people in Sunday school this morning, instead of taking their talents and using them for God, they decided they were going to use them for themselves. So you would think, when, if Whitney Houston was singing a song, and from her background, the greatest love at all, you might assume this song might be talking about God's love for us, or maybe our love for Him. But just a quick read of the lyrics tells a different story. Here's, here's, what, here's, here's, here's what the course of that song says, and sums it all up. Here it is. Because the greatest love is happening to me, I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. Now, when you first read that, you may think, what, what, what in the world is, is wrong with that? I mean, you know, shouldn't we love ourselves? Well, folks, again, let's compare everything to the source of all truth. What does the Word of God say? Amen? By the way, how did this self-love philosophy translate for uh, a personal life of happiness and joy for, for Whitney Houston? How did it work out for her? Although we can't know all that was in her heart, her life told a different story. Public fame didn't keep her from a private life of drug abuse. In fact, maybe you remember this. I remember this when this happened. February 11, 2012, Whitney Houston was found unconscious in her suite at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, submerged in her bathtub. The coroner's office later reported that her death was a result of drowning by the effects of heart disease and cocaine use. Only 48 years of age. So let me ask you folks, do you think the greatest love of all is the love of self that our society is promoting? Let me answer that for you in case you're just wondering. That's a big fat no. Amen? That's not the greatest love of all. Amen? How about this? How about this greatest love? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And let me tell you something, folks. The greatest love of all is God's love for us. Amen? And then as Christians, ought to be our love for Him. You see, the Bible says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, We love Him because He first loved us. Amen? And let me tell you, the, the greatest, and, and, and I believe the, 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 the most form of misplaced love is the love for self. The love for self. In fact, the Bible doesn't say to love yourself. You know what the Bible says to do? Deny yourself. Amen? Deny yourself. And that's certainly not the message that's being uh, propagated in our society today. Amen? So the first area of misplaced love is the love of self. Number two, how about this? And I believe this is the, the, this is the big number two right under self. The love of money. The love of money. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. By the way, this verse isn't written to the world, it's written to Christians. Did you hear what it said here? While some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Now let me just stop and say this, alright? Because I know everybody starts getting nervous when the preacher starts talking about money, amen? Well guess what? God talks about it, the Bible talks about it, I ain't afraid to preach about it, alright? Listen folks, God's not against you having money. Okay? God's not against you saving money, God's not against you spending money. In fact, I don't know about y'all, but I spent some money this week, Right? Right? Of course I spent some money. I got a wife. You better believe I spent money. Amen? No, just kidding. <laughs> I probably spent more for my stuff than her stuff, right? 
Listen, folks, look back in the Old Testament. Some of the greatest patriarchs were some of the most wealthy men. In fact, our very God that we serve has wealth beyond our wildest imagination. So it's not against, God's not against us having money, but it's what I always preach, it's what I always say, it's what God warns against. It's not about us having money, it's about money having us. And understanding the fact that if we're not careful, we get caught up in the things of this life, in the things of this world, and you know what? We're not really laying up the true treasures. Notice again what that verse says. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And by the way, you know what? You want to look at corruption, you want to look at crime, as the old saying goes, you want to figure out where it goes, what's it say? Just follow the money. Amen? And I'm going to tell you something, folks, that is absolutely true. The Word of God knew exactly what it was talking about when it said, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Take your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 19. You're not too far from there. Let's look at a, a, a story that Jesus told about a person who was obsessed with the love of money and see where it got him. Notice here, Matthew chapter 19. Let's look if you, let's begin reading here in verse 16. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. The Bible says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now let me just stop right there and say this, okay? Jesus is not teaching a works-based salvation. Jesus had the advantage we don't have. He could read this guy's heart. He knew exactly where, where, who this God was. By the way, isn't it interesting when he said, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one that is God. Even that statement was trying his motives to see if he really was believing who Christ said that he was. Let's keep reading. He saith unto him, which... Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Now listen, I don't doubt this young man was sincere, but come on, really? All these have I kept from my youth up? Let me tell you something, folks. There's none righteous, no, not one. This guy thought pretty highly of himself. Okay? Notice what Jesus said. Verse 21, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, give to the poor, thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus to his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier, again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And you know what you find out here? You find a, a young man who had a greater love for money than he did the things of God. And you know what? He wasn't willing because money was his God. And money was, and that's what who he bowed down and worshiped to. And folks, let me just say this, amen? Again, God's not against you having the things of this world, but He doesn't want the things of this world to have us. Here's what I taught your young people this morning, amen? And this is a good principle for all of us to live by. You ready for this? Hey, hey, listen to me. Things aren't more important than people. I'm just, I didn't get a nearly enough amens on that one. Let me try that one again, amen? Things aren't more important than people. Right? Let me tell you what's important, folks. People's important. 
You know why people are important? Because people are eternal, that's why. Guess what? Things aren't eternal. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a good steward. I'm not saying you should take care of the things God gives you and those those types of things. I think you ought to be. I think uh, you ought to be a good steward of the possessions and the and the treasures God gives you. But listen, we're not taking them with us. Amen. The only thing that's going uh, to heaven is what we lay up ahead of time, and that's things of eternal value. And what have I taught you? What are the two things on this planet that are eternal? The Word of God and the souls of mankind. Amen. And let me tell you something, folks, that's where our priorities ought to be. And so again, we ought to take the things that God gives us, be good stewards of them, but don't get so obsessed with them that they become our source of true love. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you, you love money, then you've misplaced love. Number three, what else do we see here? An area of misplaced love. Take your Bible, you ought to be close. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we're kind of hovering around the Gospels this morning, and I like it, amen, I love the Gospels. John chapter 12, verse 42 and verse 43, I'll let the Scripture answer this one for you. Notice what it says, verse 42, John chapter 12, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put on, put out of the synagogue. Look at verse 43, For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know what's a misplaced love, folks? The praise of man. Amen? The praise of man. Let me just say this. Again, it's not a sin to receive praise. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 2, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. And Proverbs 31, 31, it's talking about the, the virtuous woman. And it says, Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gate. So it's not a sin to receive praise. It's a sin when we begin to love to receive praise. Amen? And we, that's what we crave. That's what we desire. And listen, folks, there, there, there's something we all have to battle with. We all have to deal with. You know what it's called? It's called wicked, stinking pride. Amen? That's what it's called. And you know what? There's not one of us that if we're not careful, don't start liking the praise of man. By the way, again, what's the context of the verse say? They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Hey, how about this? Instead of being concerned about what others think, let's be concerned about what God thinks. Amen? Let's be concerned whether or not we're earning the approval of God instead of being concerned about the approval of man. Now, I'm not about... Listen, folks, I understand. I, 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 there, there are certain people in my life that I want to be approved in their sight. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that motivation. But let me say this. It turns into wrong when that's all we're concerned about and we're more concerned about that than we are concerned about what God thinks. Amen? Listen, there's been a lot of people that, that, uh, uh, don't think that it's, it's very good for me to be knocking on their door and trying to talk to them about the Lord. I mean, I've been called a pretty, a few choice things, amen, by doing that. I mean, I've had some people try to say, you know, you're trying to cram that blankety blank down my throat. Who do you think you are? Get the blankety blank off my property. And listen, if I allowed that to be the motivation factor, what they thought, guess what? I'd probably never do it again, amen? But let me tell you something, folks. I ain't near concerned about what they think. I'm concerned about what He thinks. Amen? I'd rather have the praise of God than the praise of man. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, 
But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Let me tell you the context of that verse is talking about a true born-again experience. Not believe, not trusting in works, not trusting in, in an outward thing. And by the way, you know what? When you are, when you fully trust in Christ and, and, and you throw aside this thing of, uh, of trying to work your way and impress God with your works. By the way, you know what I call trying to impress God with your works? Religion. That's what it is, by the way. Amen. It's man's attempt to appease God. Listen, I'm not religious. I have a relationship. Amen. And by the way, when you, when you, uh, come to God His way on His terms and do it the way He wants you to, guess what? That's not praise of men. That's praise of God. Amen. He's thankful for that. And God wants to praise those who do it His way. So you know what? Don't, don't misplace your love by loving the praise of men. Here's what I had somebody say one time, and I like it. They said compliments are like perfume or cologne. Alright? They may smell good, but it will make you sick if you drink it. Okay? Alright? And, and listen, I don't believe in this false sense of humility either. Okay, somebody says something, you know, pays you a compliment. Oh, don't say that about me. You don't know who I am. I'm a worm. I am dirt. I am horrible. I don't believe that kind of garbage either. Amen. Remember what I preached a couple weeks ago? It's all about balance. Amen. Keeping the right balance. Hey, if somebody wants to pay you a compliment, how about this? Here's what I always say. Hey, you know what? Praise the Lord. Amen. He sure has been good to me. Hey, reflect the praise back to God. Amen. And instead of loving to be praised, how about this? Why not love giving praise? By the way, first and foremost, you know what we all all be giving praise to? Come on now, I think you know the answer to that, amen? If you don't know the answer, look it up in the book of Psalms. In almost every single place, you know where it talks about praise? It talks about praising the Lord, amen? You give praise to God, and then you know what? Give praise to others. By the way, people like to know, uh, they like to hear when they're doing things uh, uh, in a right manner. I mean, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, your kids need that. Amen. Parents, come on now. Listen, we gotta, we gotta get on them enough. We gotta, we gotta to, uh, uh, discipline. We gotta correct. We gotta train. So guess what? If we're gonna say the negative, why not say the positive? Amen. Right? And learn to praise others. So misplaced love. Number one, the misplaced love of self, the misplaced love of money, the misplaced love of praise. How about this now? You ready? Come on, click. Put them on. Put the seatbelts on. You ready? Come on. You're in a Bible preaching church. You ready for some Bible preaching? Amen? Number four, the misplaced love of the world. Misplaced love of the world. Take your Bible. First John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, again, very famous uh, passage of Scripture, ones that we read often in this church. They may not get read in other churches, but they get read and preached on here. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. There is something out there that's going to try to steal your love. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's this, it's this world system. Amen? This world system. Notice what he says, 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15, you ready? Here's what it says. By the way, this is a command. This isn't a suggestion, okay? This isn't, well, I'll tell you what, bless your little heart. If you feel convicted, then you can do this, all right? I ain't talking about that garbage. What's the Bible say? You ready? Love not the world. Amen? Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen? Amen. Now listen, folks. When God says not to love the world, He's talking about the system of this world. He's talking about the God of this world who rules this world with, with, with His way and how He does it. By the way, listen, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, you look around and you see a system that's at play that is anti-God, it's anti-Bible, it's anti-church. And by the way, people are getting pretty vocal about it. I saw a t-shirt this week of a woman that had this t-shirt on, obscene gesture with her hands. You know what I'm talking about, amen? And here's what the t-shirt said, I don't care what the Bible says. Walking around, flaunting that out. By the way, let me tell you something, folks. People that do that kind of stuff, uh, I, I, I feel for them. Amen? Because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a, of a living God. And let me tell you, that's what this system of this world is preaching. Amen? And by the way, sometimes it's in your face, anti-God, just like that. Sometimes it's more subtle. How about this? Alright, again, let me tell you what a worldly philosophy is. You ready? How about this? Just be true to yourself. Oh, it sounds so good. It sounds so cute. It sounds so, you know, uh, uh, good in, in the lyrics of the, of the latest stupid song coming out. But let me tell you something, folks. Being true to self, following your own heart, alright, that kind of garbage, that is of this world. Amen? And the Bible says as Christians, not to fall in love with this world. How about this? Set your affections on things above not on things of this earth. And let me tell you, God tells us why you shouldn't love this world, because the world's going to pass away. Listen, folks, this system ain't lasting forever. And I'm glad it's not lasting forever. They can have it for a little bit, and God's allowed them to have it for a little bit. I want to tell you something, folks. God's coming real soon, and you know what He's going to do? He's going to set this thing the way it ought to be. Amen? And praise God for that. But guess what? Why we're here? You know what? We're not to love this world. By the way, let me tell you how you don't fall in love with the world. Have the proper view of it. Well, what's the proper view of it? I'm glad you asked because the Bible has the answer. Amen? Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to these verses here. Uh, several times we see this uh, principle taught in, in several verses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Talking about the heroes of our faith here. Listen to what it says. These all died in faith. Talking about the Old Testament patriarchs. Not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them. By the way, listen... If they could do that, if they could be persuaded of them, if they could embrace them, and they didn't have what we have, amen? We have the completed Word of God. They didn't have that. And if they could be persuaded of them, they can be embraced of them, what's our excuse? Listen, folks, they would, they, they would have loved to have what we have. But you know what? They were still persuaded and embraced them. And notice what else it says. And confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Strangers and pilgrims. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, here's that word, those words again, as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. 
uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. That word conversation, it means our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, let me tell you how to not get your love misplaced by this world. Remember what we really are, folks. You know what we are? We're pilgrims and strangers. Okay, kind of like that old song goes, this world's not my home, I'm just a passing through. Amen? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Listen, you ought to look at this time on earth as just you're kind of, you're just, we're just traveling through for a little bit. Amen? We're just kind of, we're here temporarily, but this isn't the main destination. I kind of think of those old-time settlers who set out on the East Coast to make it to the West Coast and follow that what's known as today the Oregon Trail across the, across the country. Now listen, as they were going, man, that was a treacherous journey. You know what? They had to stay some places. They had to camp at some places. They had to resupply at some places. But you know what? It wasn't where they were trying to get to. They had their eyes set on the destination, and that's what they worked to, that's what they lived for, was getting to the destination. Let me tell you something, as Christians, we need to have a pilgrim's and a stranger's mentality when it comes to this world, amen? When it comes to this world. By the way, if you have that mentality, you won't get too attached to it. You know, when they were traveling, traversing the country, you know what? They didn't, wherever they had to stop for the night or stop for a few days or maybe even stop for a week or a month based upon sickness or, or supplies, you know what? They didn't start building cabins there. You know what? They pitched a tent. You know what tent, a tent speaks of? Temporary dwelling. Right? And that's what they did because it was temporary. And let me tell you something, we better start getting a temporary view of this life because this life is temporary. Amen? Let me tell you, you start having that philosophy, and and guess what? Your affections will change from what's going on here to what ought to be going on up there. Amen? I'm going to tell you something, folks. If we knew, if we knew what the people in eternity know right now, we would live a different life. If we knew what they knew. By the way, you can know. Because the Bible tells us. Amen? I'm going to just encourage you. Quit falling in love with this world. Amen? The systems of this world. By the way, we say we don't love the world, but we feed on the world's garbage. We feed on the world's garbage. We feed on their music. We feed on their entertainment. And then we wonder why our love has grown cold as a Christian. Because we got too much of the world in us. That's why. I knew I knew it'd get quiet when I said that. That's okay. Instead of saying amen, maybe we need to be singing oh me. Right? And I'm preaching to myself here this morning. Amen? I get it, folks. We've got to live here. I understand that. Okay? And we gotta work here. We gotta be, I mean, God geographically placed us here. But listen, as a Christian, we can't forget what this thing's about. It's not about this world. It's about the next world. Amen? And be living for that. And not fall in love with the world. Number five, how about this? Man, this is not a very good message for a friends and family Sunday, is it? Amen? Man, this is, this one's kind of, ouch, thanks preacher for ripping my face off this morning. Amen? But by the way, before it had to, got to you, it got to me. Alright? Man, I had to study this thing out. I had to go through the Word of God and let it deal with my stinking wicked heart. Amen? Number five, how about this? The misplaced love of pleasure. The misplaced love of pleasure. Back to where we were at in 2 Timothy. If you keep following that list down, here's what else it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4. Traitors, Heedy, high-minded. Here it is. You ready? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now again, let me just say this, folks, because sometimes when a preacher says this stuff, you're like, oh, that, that preacher don't want us to do anything, never have any fun, never to smile. Just the opposite of that. 
Listen, folks, yes, God does want you to enjoy the journey along the way. And God has given us things and blessed us with things. It doesn't say it's wrong to have pleasure. That's not what it says. Listen, I don't know about you, I like pleasurable things. Okay, listen, I love it when the temperature is just the way it's been for the last two, three weeks around here. Amen? 70-some degrees, uh, and in the peak of the day, blue skies, a little bit of a breeze. I love it. That's pleasurable to me. I would much rather have this than what we're going to have here in a few months. Amen? God's not against you going on vacation. God's not against you having uh, fun times with your family. God's not against you having hobbies and interests and doing things like that. But what's the verse say? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It's just that He doesn't want us to love anything more than Him. Let me tell you something, folks. Next to self, you know what's become a God in America? Pleasure. Pleasure. People worship pleasure. Well, it doesn't, uh, I don't love things, I don't love pleasure more than God. Well, listen, folks, let me tell you something. It's not just about what we say, it's about what our life proves. It's about what, I wonder how many Christians this morning, all right? Now, not you, obviously, because you're here, but I wonder how many Christians this morning aren't here because, you know what, maybe they just love the pleasure of sleep more than they love God. Or maybe they love the pleasure of, uh, you know, Sunday's my only day off. The only day I had to do stuff for me. And you know what? Maybe they love the pleasure of being on the lake today instead of being in God's house today. Or maybe they love the pleasure of whatever worldly activity you fill in the blank with. Amen? Now, come on, folks. It's not just about what we say. How do we live? I read an interesting article. By the way, this was an article didn't come from the sword of the Lord. This article didn't come from revival fires. This article came from uh, the uh, secular source known as the Guardian. Here's what it says: Too many people, uh, too many of our simple pleasures have morphed into something else. A six and a half ounce soda has become a thirty ounce big gulp drink. Amen. An afternoon with friends has given away to a thousand friendlings on Facebook. Each of these uh, uh, monetary pleasures is just that, uh, monetary. But chronic uh, dopamine from your favorite fix reduces serotonin and happiness. Now, those are some medical terms, but it's chemical things going on in your heads, what those things are. Dopamines, serotonin, chemical things going on in your head. Furthermore, government legislation and subsidies have tolerated ever-available temptations. All right, come on now. Sugar, tobacco, alcohol, drugs, social, social media, pornography, combined with constant stress of work, money, home, school, uh, internet, with the end results of an unprecedented epidemic, listen to this, of addiction, anxiety, depression, and chronic disease. Thus, the more pleasure you seek the more unhappy you get, and the more likelihood you'll slide into addiction or depression. By the way, for which they have a fix for called pharmaceuticals. Remember what I said, follow the money? You don't think, folks, for one second, this isn't planned, what's going on? You don't think for one second, they have on purpose made these things the way they have? that people can't live without them. Okay, you don't think that's true? Try going, okay, I'll be a little whatever here, going to the bathroom without one of these. Come on. You think I'm kidding? You know it's true, amen? You know it's true. And let me tell you something, folks. You know what all this has been about? It's been about getting people addicted to things, what is considered pleasurable. And by the way, you know what it's done? It's turned our minds to mush.
I mean, come on, look, look at your average young person today. Look at your average family today, okay? You, you, you go up to the restaurant, what's everybody doing? They're sitting around having conversation, seeing how their day went, trying to find each other's interest. No, you know what they're doing? Come on now. Come on now. I mean, you, you see it, amen? This is, this is going somewhere, and this is planned. It says our ability to perceive happiness has been sabotaged by our modern, incessant quest for pleasure, which our consumer culture has made all too easy to satisfy. Those who uh, uh, abdicate happiness for pleasure will end up with neither. Go ahead, pick, pick your drug or device, pick your poison. Your brain can't tell the difference, but please be advised. Listen to me, this is what the guardian said, not the Bible. The guardian said it will kill you sooner or later one way or another. You know why? Because we, we love pleasure more than we love God. Now let me tell you folks how, the, how God designed this thing to work. Alright? Remember something here. As a Christian, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it's to the point, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Alright? Who ought to be as a Christian, who ought to be number one love in our life? Come on, we all know that. Amen? We're to love God, are we not? And let me tell you, when you love God like that, and you serve God, you give God your life, you deny yourself just like Jesus said, and you got to die before you can really live, you know what you find out is a byproduct of all of that? Pleasure and happiness. By the way, without the guilt, without the addiction, without all the, 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 the after effects that, that are killing people. Amen? Let me tell you something. You will never feel that with anything outside of a love and obedience to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you some of the happiest people. Let me tell you some of my happiest times I have in life. All right? Very honest with you. Okay? When I accomplish a task where I'm serving the Lord. That is some of the hot, happiest times of my life. I remember as a teenager, I'm sorry, as a teenager, as a youth pastor, I would take the teenagers on Wednesday after school and we'd go out on the buses through the towns and we'd go soul hunting and we'd knock on doors and we'd invite people and lead people to Christ and just do what Christians ought to be doing anyway, amen? And I remember uh, thinking of this, I saw this happen that after, uh, after I picked those kids up and we were driving to the restaurant or driving to the church where, where we'd go afterwards, those kids were, I mean, it was like, you know, they'd all been on something, man. They were all just happy, they were... They they were laughing. They were joyful. You know why? Because they just had some time serving the Lord. That's why. You know, I like what the Bible says. Talk about the early apostles. That they addicted themselves to the work of the ministry. God's not against addiction. He just wants you addicted to the right thing. And you know what that is? Him! His will. His plan. His work. Looking for happiness? You're looking for pleasure? Find a relationship with Jesus Christ and just love Him and serve Him. And you'll find that. Amen? But lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Number six, here's what we see in John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. Listen to this. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The love of darkness. The love of darkness. Now this doesn't mean you like sleeping with the lights out. Amen. I like doing that, all right? Jesus was talking about spiritual darkness. By the way, you know what's supposed to happen when you get saved? You're supposed to come out of darkness into the light. John chapter 8, the Bible says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John chapter 12, verse 35, Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. John 14, 46, I am come and light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. 
You know what the Bible says, Christian? You're supposed to be out of darkness. Amen? Not loving it. Not loving it. You see, folks, again, these verses aren't talking to the world. Lost people. The world's going to do what the world's going to do. But as Christians, we should not love the dark things of this life. Amen? And by the way, let me tell you something this, folks. You know, you start peeling the layers of the onion back. Saint may come across as light, but it, it, it's not the true light. I can tell you that. You start peeling the layers of that onion back. You know what you find out pretty quick? You know what's right behind that facade? Darkness. Darkness. And we're living in a world, a society that's obsessed with darkness. I'm talking about from the, the, the way people uh, present themselves, the clothes they wear, the music they listen to, the things they involve themselves in. Folks, it is the darkness of this world. Listen, again, the world's going to do what it's going to do, but as Christians, it should not be said of us. Amen? And let me just remind you what ought to happen to you once you get saved. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what church? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know what that's called? Walking out of darkness into light. That's what that's called. Amen? By the way, you know what? I know the change may may not take uh, or, or or may not happen the, the same amount of speed as it does for everybody. Sometimes people grow a little bit but more steady than others. But listen to me. I don't care whether it happens uh, steady. I don't care whether it happens fast. But it ought to be happening. Because you know what? We're in light now. We're not in darkness. So we see here a love of darkness. And last of all, number seven. Let me show you this. Matthew 24. Go there. Matthew 24. Number seven, the, the misplaced love. We see, first of all, the misplaced love to self, the misplaced love to money, the misplaced love of praise, the l- misplaced love of the world, the misplaced love of pleasure, the misplaced love of darkness, Matthew twenty four twelve. And again, I understand the context of this passage. This context is referring to the things that are going to happen during the tribulation period. I get that. I'm not trying to take a scripture out of context, but I'll just say this. Where it's, where it's at here in the tribulation period, it's leading there very quickly because we're almost there. Okay? Notice what he says. The last thing we see is this. A love that is lost. A love that is lost. Matthew 24, verse 12. Here's what he says. He said, uh, verse 12, and, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Shout, wax cold. Now, again, what's he talking about there? He's talking about just just what God considers ought to be a normal, natural thing. Yes, a love for Him, of course, but no, I'm talking about just a love for things just because you're creating the image of God. And let me tell you something, folks. The love of many during that time is going to wax cold, but it's already on the decline as we speak. The love of many shall wax cold. I cannot believe... The thanks. The Bible also says in the last days, he uses this phrase, without natural affection. You know what that means? The love waxing cold. The love growing cold. Let me tell you something, folks. The things people are doing now to their very own children. It's wicked as hell. Let me tell you something. It's not natural. It's a love that's waxing cold. Now again, the world's going to do what the world's going to do. But wouldn't it be sad? What a sad testimony when I think of this being said of a Christian. This being said of a child of God, this being said of those who we, we claim the name of Christ, we say we're saved by His blood, but why is our love waxing cold? I can't think, but think of the most uh, infamous, not famous, infamous church in Revelation chapter 3. 
talking about that church of the Laodiceans. And again, you know where I'm going with this, but here's what it says. The angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things saith, Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I work that were cold nor hot. Let me tell you something. Listen, God wants us hot. And if we're not hot, then guess what? Our love, our, 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 our fervor, our passion for God is waxing cold. Amen? By the way, they weren't ice cold yet. They weren't arctic cold yet. They were just like most of us are. They were just like baby bear's porridge, just right. What that's called? Comfortable. That's what that's called. Let me tell you something, folks. God doesn't want us to have a comfortable love. He wants us to have a red, hot, fervor love for Him and for other people. Again, I think of 1 Kings chapter 11, another Old Testament illustration of this. King Solomon. Man, you talk about a man unlike there's ever been, King Solomon. Nobody, nobody has ever been as rich as Solomon was. The ri- I mean, listen, he, his riches, were he was so wealthy... He made the oil sheiks of the day look like paupers. I mean, the wealth was just untold that Solomon had. But here's what the Bible says. But, verse, uh, chapter, 1 Kings chapter 10 talks about his feats, talks about the things he accomplished, the things he did, his wisdom, the people that came and saw him, that sought out his wisdom. And then chapter 11 starts with that word, but there's going to be a turning point. But King Solomon loved doesn't say Jehovah God loved many strange women. And it begins to go on to talk about the, these, these, these women, how they turn their hearts, away, Solomon's heart away from God. And verse 6, it says, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as his David, his father. Listen to me, folks. You know what Satan got Solomon with? He got him to his love for God to wax cold. The Bible never says Solomon forgot God. It says he didn't fully go after God. You know what that means? He wasn't red hot anymore. He was just lukewarm. Lukewarm. And folks, listen to me. We cannot allow our love to be lost. You can't allow your love. Listen, you can't get comfortable in your Christian life. You can't. I mean, listen, I know it's easy as Americans to get pretty comfortable. But listen, God wants us to stay red hot on the firing line for Him. Especially with our love. And listen, I just have one simple point of practical application today. Okay? One simple thing. Well, preacher, how do I keep my love from being misplaced? It's very, very simple. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. That's what he says. It's not that hard, folks. It literally is a just a simple phrased verse right there. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Hey, you love God? All right. You say you don't want your love to wax cold. You don't want your love to uh, 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 something else could steal it away. Then you know what? You know how you prove it? Keep his commandments. There you go. It's that easy. Amen. And listen, folks. Let's not allow our love to be misplaced for the things of this world. Let's pray, Lord. We love you.